0: Yourself in the The disco hotspots on the for you. You can concern yourself with bigger things. You catch a pull and ride the dragon's wings. Cause it's the heat of the moment. The heat of the moment. The heat of the moment.
1: Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And the Green Bay Packers kicked off the 2016 season in a memorable fashion. Many people, when the schedule came out, expected this to have the potential to be a very good game, and it certainly did not disappoint. Uh, And certainly it didn't disappoint if you're a Green Bay Packer fan because they were able to hold on to a 27-23 win as the Jacksonville Jaguars furiously drove down the field in an attempt to win, and Matt, there are a lot of different angles to this game that we will talk about as it goes on, but for a week one um, that was filled with thrillers, uh, this was as thrilling as any of them.
0: Yeah, it sure was a heck of a game, and I, I don't think any of us were surprised that Jacksonville hung in there, but... I guess that's what's most important, right, is you, you come out with the W, obviously. And, I mean, not a lot of big mistakes by either team. It was just pretty well played across the board and just a, a really good football game to watch.
1: And I think you made a really good comment last week that had this been in, like, week four or even in week two where you didn't have the whole offseason to plan for it, this could have been the ultimate trap game. And uh, having seen Jacksonville play yesterday, I'm starting to think less of it as a trap game because I think that Jacksonville legitimately is on the rise and, and yeah. is a pretty good... Um, you know, middle of the road to maybe higher than that team, but uh, the Packers talked about how prepared they were for the elements, and this, I don't know what it ended up being, but the heat index at one point was around 110 down on the field, and they said that for the most part, the, the guys were hydrated, nobody needed IVs, and I think... I don't. It's determined by game time temperature, but this would have, if it was in the ninety-one, I think they showed on the scoreboard at one time. That would have been at least the third hottest game that the Packers had ever played in, and the hottest in uh, over thirteen years. So that's pretty impressive for these guys.
0: Wow. Yeah, and I, I think what you would have to be prepared going into that. I heard they were what was it practicing indoors with the heat on or something during. Yeah,
1: the game? and the weight room too, I guess.
0: Yeah, which is obviously good, you have to do that stuff. And I loved the obviously the air conditioning tubes. I'd never seen that before, but what an easy and simple idea to do that. I just like shove the tubes down those guys' shoulder pads. I like, thought that was pretty yeah. brilliant too.
1: I thought I I feel like I've seen that before but I couldn't uh I don't remember if it was the Packers or what it was, but I don't know. The thing that was funny for me, and obviously anybody who's ever been out in the heat knows that it's clearly a factor, but I think it's not quite as an much of an advantage for the home team as they portrayed it uh, in the lead-up to this game, and, and maybe it was just something to get more people to believe that the Jaguars had a legitimate chance to win. But um, it was funny because on the way... Uh, I was listening to the radio yesterday morning, and they were talking about, well, the hottest game by far in Packers history was 102 degrees in 1978 at San Diego. And then Amon Green on his pregame show, he said, well, the worst weather I ever played in for heat was down in Miami in 2006, and then just as bad on the cold end was Christmas Eve against Tampa Bay in the cold. And I thought to myself, yeah, these are so punishing conditions, yet the Packers won all three of those games that are being referenced. So clearly it's not a death sentence.
0: Well, and I think in this case, too, obviously, we're coming off a summer up here, too. It's not like it hasn't been in the 80s the whole time. I mean, playing in 90s is different, but, I mean, it's been hotter down there, but it's not such a shock to the system. It's not like we're going down there in November and it's 100 degrees. That might actually have a difference, but, I mean, both teams are used to it. it, It's obviously, I I hated playing in games like that in high school football, and it's miserable, but everybody's got to be through the misery together, so I don't (laughs) think it's, like you said, as big of an advantage for one team or
1: another. I was at a Brewer game this year and it was about 90 degrees and it sucks just sitting in it. Yeah. Like every once in a while you just want to get out of the heat, but yeah, it's, you know, they're they're professionals and they were well prepared for it and it's just one of those things again where um well first of all half the guys on the team are from SEC schools or Pac-12 schools right. where, you know, they get they're they're more accustomed it to the heat. There. Well, yeah, exactly. And and it's not like that narrative always seems to be that here in Wisconsin it never gets above 60 degrees like it's Alaska or something. Mm-mm. But, uh, yeah, but I, I guess it's still an impressive win for the Packers, and kudos to the coaching staff and the strength and conditioning uh, staff for having them so well prepared that nobody even needed IVs at halftime. Right. Okay, so how impressed were you by this win?
0: Um, If, if I'm going to go a scale of 1 to 10, I'd maybe say like a – like a seven or eight. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a little high on the scale, but I I think week one, such weird things always seem to happen. And you obviously just take the full slate of games yesterday and teams that weren't expected to win do still. Um, And maybe they're not the better teams going down the stretch this year, but the Packers were able to hold off a good young team. They did it, you know, not super impressive, uh, over-the-top fashion. I mean, you win by four points and only put up 27, and, and Roger source for only 199 yards. But you, you played pretty well across the board, which I think, for some reason, I feel like with this team, that's something that we don't see that much, just a nice, steady, solid game without, you know, like a really dumb mistake or giving up a really big play mm-hmm. or some fluke thing happening. It was just kind of steady, and all the way to the finish, it felt like they were going to win, and they just closed it out and did it.
1: Yeah, and they, a lot of the uh, talk was about them holding on to actually beating a team because they've had so many collapses in recent years, mm-hmm. and I think seven is pretty good. I would agree with that. Um, like you said, the, the strangeness of week one can never be oversold, I think, you know, because you never quite know what these teams are going to be. and um, But still, I I mean, their defense had a great stand at the end, and you know, it seems like what Jacksonville was like three or four, three of four on fourth down in the whole game. It felt like, you know, if they wouldn't have gone for it on fourth down so much, it might have been even a wider margin. But for me, you said they didn't make the big mistake, but they tried. Uh, Aaron Rodgers tried to call timeouts on back-to-back plays, and uh, Morgan Burnett. When I initially saw him on that fourth down, ha ha, Clinton Dix interception. Um, I was, he just seems to make so many boneheaded plays, but. Yeah. When I saw the replay, if he hadn't grabbed Julius Thomas, he probably would have caught it, and nobody would have stopped him before the five-yard line. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't as stupid as a, it might have been—a game-saving play in all likelihood.
0: Right? Yeah, I, that's kind of been Burnett's mo, right? I guess that's why I've never been so over the top about him. I always hear how good he is, and then you know how well he's played—you know—at the end of the season a couple of years ago, and even last year. But it's just these plays that he made—like two of them yesterday—just. Really, kind of just kind of silly and stupid plays. Mm-hmm. That you're, it just kind of sticks in my mind when you think about them, it. I and it's just frustrating. It you just feel like you were expecting these with our secondary, even back when you know Chuck was here
1: and Tremont. Like,
0: yeah, and Tremont, they play great, but then they just will do these like one or two plays. It's just kind of been our secondary's mo for like eight years now.
1: Yeah, and uh, I always forget uh, Thomas Emmett Thomas, isn't he our our coach uh, back there? Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, I feel like I'm screwing that up, but. Um, I I think that might be just the way that he coaches them, um, because they all have it no matter what their skill level is. Um, so, I don't know. I think they played okay. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Emmett Thomas was the defensive coordinator in, like, 1999. Joe Witt is who I was trying to think of. Gosh, what a dumb brain I have. Um, so... To me, I was pretty impressed with the defensive performance given the conditions. They were shorthanded along the defensive line. The, that passing game for Jacksonville is pretty impressive, uh, having this been the, probably the first time where I've sit, sat down and attentively watched a Jacksonville Jaguars game uh, since they've had any of these guys. But um, they really lucked out that they got an officiating crew that was going to let them play. Because there are other officiating crews where they would have eaten alive the Packers with how much hand-checking was going on all day.
0: Yeah, and the receivers basically did eat apart the secondary for most of the day. I, I mean, you, you talked about the shorthanded defensive line, and they were awesome. I mean, they created a yeah. lot of pressure, a lot of big plays. They gave up 1.8 yards per carry, which is insanely good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I know Jacksonville's front is not the best that there is, but...
1: And no Chris um, Ivory, but still.
0: Yeah, but they give T.J. Yeldon 21 carries, who's, I mean, he... And outstanding last year, but he's not a slouch, and for to hold him under two yards a carry was great. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and just kind of what you thought with Jacksonville. It, I mean, I don't know how hard you want to be on the secondary because this is what they do, and they do it really well. And uh, you know, they they kind of gash you all day long here. You you didn't get beat on any huge bombs, which is a positive, but you kind of got chipped away at all day. But you only give up twenty three points in, in doing it, so I. I think that really the standout was Rollins didn't play real great, but other other than that, a couple of really bad plays, they they weren't too bad.
1: Yeah, Rollins didn't play that great, but he made the biggest play at the end where yep. he was able to get up, I think, with Allen Robinson and knock that ball away that could have very well been a touchdown. And gosh, it's hard not to be imp- even more impressed with Demarius Randall every time you see that guy play. I mean, mm-hmm. he looks legit. Like I, I don't know if he's going to be... Charles Woodson, but there's no reason to think he can't beat Tremont Williams. Right, yeah. And he was the one who really fought through, uh, no, he forced Alan Robinson, or no, I'm sorry, Alan Hearns inside on that fourth down and one at the end, and then Micah Hyde uh, whooped Alan Robinson uh, right through his block and was able to kind of start the dogpile that led to the, the victory. So I, I think, yeah, I, I think the secondary did well, but I still believe that they were somewhat fortunate to get an officiating crew that really favored their style of play rather than one that's really ticky-tack.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. The crowd was going nuts, and I kind of felt for them on a couple of those, too. You're like, yeah, that, that probably should have been a call.
1: But they were the uh, same way when Jacksonville was out there.
0: Oh, yeah, it, it's just going to affect a receiving core like Jacksonville more than it will ours, so it was pretty obvious and apparent, I think.
1: Well, let's talk about our receiving core and our offense. And I was trying to find the best way to capture how I felt... ...about the Packers' offense yesterday, and I, I settled on the offense was successful, but it struggled. And in the sense that they were productive, they made the big plays when they needed to, they were pretty much efficient... But if you had on Red Zone at any time yesterday, and, and we had it on on a second tel, uh, TV that we—I almost said television—like a seventy-five-year-old <laughs> man, uh, another TV to the side uh, that we we're watching Red Zone during the Packer game, and every team is getting a deep pass or having wide-open guys or hitting people on crossing routes, and the Packers' offense did well, and I think their receivers played really well, and Aaron Rodgers that throw he had to Devontae Adams for the touchdown. Maybe only rivaled by that called back throw he had to Devontae Adams in 2014 against the Bears. But it just looked like such a struggle. There's no separation. If Aaron Rodgers didn't throw things with pinpoint accuracy, there was no way things were going to be completed. I have more confidence in the offense working because Jordy Nelson's back, but. Still, even with Jordy Nelson, and we'll give him a pass because he just came back. There's no separation. Every single catch that is successful, it has a defender like a foot behind the receiver.
0: Yeah, and I think I think Jordy will help that, but I agree. It it uh, he wasn't quite himself yesterday, which uh, obviously, as you said, mm-hmm. you can expect. Mm-hmm. But it looked just like one of Aaron Rodgers' quote unquote good games from last year, earlier in the year when they're like, "Wow, that's kind of weird that he's only throwing for." 220 yards and two TDs, but I mean they got the job done, they they scored enough points to win, it just didn't quite feel that good, but it's hard to really criticize him when you, like you said, you have that throw to Devontae Adams, which was a miracle throw, that yeah. he somehow got that off and got it on the money. He, it's just Eddie, Eddie Lacy played well, the offensive line seemed to play pretty well, um, Rodgers hit most of his throws, it's just like you said, that the offense was just having a hard time getting more than 5-10 yards a chunk, and receivers just not getting open again just like last year.
1: And I can't quite tell why because obviously Aaron Rodgers tilts the field tremendously and the way they played yesterday couldn't have succeeded with basically any other quarterback. He had to be so accurate to complete any of those passes. But then on the flip side, it's they had the same personnel when Tolzien and Flynn were playing in 2013. And they were able to still be the third best offense in the NFL. And they still had big numbers through the passing game. In the preseason, when Joe Callahan is in there, there's separation, and they're able to move the ball. They won three games largely because Joe Callahan was unstoppable, and I don't quite get it, and I'm such a simpleton compared to Rodgers and McCarthy, but you almost wonder if, and this is going to sound really stupid, and you can call me out on it, and I won't feel bad, but... Is, is Rodgers doing too much checking at the line of scrimmage and too much thinking and too much audibilizing and, and trying to exploit little matchups? It's almost like, I wonder what would happen if he just called the play and dropped back and see what happens.
0: Yeah, I I wouldn't argue with that. I don't know if I'd necessarily, I mean, I, it could be part of it. I don't know if I'd say that's the biggest reason. I I think for me, it's yeah, you're right. It's so hard to explain it when you see the same receivers out there and other people somehow finding a way to do it. It's just still to me, it seems his unwillingness to just take the, you know, a throw when it may be open and the, the feeling the need to, you know, roll around for seven, eight seconds <laughs> and avoid pressure and try to just get the huge play, which mm-hmm. never seems to happen with our wide receivers because they just can't do it. Yeah. Um. And then back to also, I think a lot of the routes we run seem like they're designed for guys that are. You know freaks and can hit the deep ball and like Jordy Nelson. They're like they expect everybody to be Jordy Nelson in his prime from two years ago yeah. and just be able to beat guys one on one. And it just these guys can't do it. And it just seemed like the route concepts haven't really been updated.
1: Yeah, and I mean that could very well be. You've been running an offense that was crushing everyone for a decade. You'd think eventually they'd figure it out to some degree. But and, and the thing that's frustrating too is that you you see the things happen where Rodgers wasting timeouts or getting delay of games, you know, like that delay of game to start the second half. I I would still, I'm still not sure if there was a clock problem or not, but he just comes out there and he's looking around and the clock just runs out. I mean, that's, a, that's something that Carson Wentz should have been doing, not Aaron Rodgers. And then calling two timeouts in a row, I mean, you can't do that. Everybody knows that. And I know that they want to get themselves into a successful play but sometimes you just wonder what would happen if they just ran the offense, run the plays, and stop worrying about checking everything and putting pointing everything out. But the frustrating thing on the flip side in Aaron Rodgers' defense is that he had that play down at the goal line where he audibilized to a run play that would have easily been a walk-in touchdown for James Starks, but he was the only one on the field that... Kn- him and Starks were the only ones on the field that knew it was a run play. Yeah, <laughs> And so, I don't know, it's... I'm sure that if I sat in a meeting with Aaron Rodgers and they were able to dumb it down enough for me to even understand, I'd realize how stupid this point is. But it just uh, – it, it feels like at some point they just want it – they want it to be a chess match because they don't want to get in a fist fight. And I think there's more of football than's a fist fight than Rodgers and McCarthy are comfortable with. Sure just i mean it's like just at one point i said yesterday i'm like just execute execute the play stop trying to outsmart people block your dude beat your guy throw the ball that's what has been winning football games since it was invented i think sometimes they 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 think too much but i don't know i i can't prove it
0: <laughs> yeah i i can't prove it either but i wouldn't argue with you i think that It's a possible theory. It would be fun to sit in on one of those meetings and just try to put it in a simpleton's perspective when they're breaking everything down and all complicated like, just to say, you know, what about this, Mike? And just, (laughs) you know, let them combat our arguments or tell us why and why not. You just don't get to get in-depth like that on, you know, whatever press conferences and things. You'll never get that deep.
1: Yeah, which, you know, it would take, it would be quite a learning curve for it to make any sense, but... You know, it, But, you know, we all have that, so we don't have to make ourselves sound too stupid. If they sat in on one of our meetings that we have at our jobs, we could use a bunch of insider lingo to make them That's feel right. stupid, too. So we we all got our own uh, insider lingo we can use. Um, Devontae Adams, that catch was great, but I'm to the point with him where when he succeeds, I'm almost disappointed because... I know that it's going to buy him another three or four weeks of just terrible play, and they're not going to let Aberderis or somebody else get a chance.
0: Yeah, I know. When he caught that touchdown, it was miraculous. But one of my first thoughts was like, ah, damn it, it was said 17. (laughs) Because just before that, I, I can't remember the specifics, but he had one drop and another ball that was thrown up to him where he was just, like, completely off. Yeah, And, um... So I'm, I think we're already texting at this point, like, God, get this guy out of here. Like, how is he still out there after those two plays? Like, you would never, as much as you can say, you know, a guy like Aberderis or whoever is in this explosive, you would never see him make a play like those couple. Yeah. But then he goes and makes a play that, like, nobody else can make. Yeah. And, and that's what they see, and that's what's keeping him on the team. And it was a heck of a play, though, that's for sure.
1: But then how come they don't see that with Jeff Janis? Because he's the same way. Yeah. I mean, he yeah, makes he the Yeah. field. Yeah, he can't get on the field at all, but he makes the miraculous plays too, and he has fewer opportunities to do so. I mean, anybody who was good enough physically to be drafted in the second round ought to make a few miraculous plays when he gets 20 targets a game like he was yeah, last year. But hopefully he can just keep getting better, but yeah, he, he's a frustrating person to watch for sure. Um, one thing I did want to point out is that the Packers were outgained by Jacksonville and Jacksonville ran eight more plays than the Packers did and. And so, I remember that happening quite a bit last year, and I was wondering if that was a maybe a meta sign that the offense is in decline, that they can't stay on the field and they can't convert, and they're always getting outgained. And the truth is, they've been getting outgained more often um, last year and then this year. But I before I said anything on it, I threw it all in a spreadsheet, and it turns out getting outgained has... Almost perfectly no correlation to victory. It was like your, your wins and losses were half you outgained your opponent and half you got outgained, and the same was true for number of plays run. So, um, I don't know if anybody was on that radar, but um, you shouldn't be because apparently that doesn't matter at all. You just have to be efficient and convert on third down and win the turnover battles, the main thing.
0: Yeah, you would think in a game like this, though, that would matter. I mean, I can see it in the course of a season, whereas if you have games where you're up a lot, you're going to stop putting yards up, or if you're down a lot, you're going to put up a ton trying to get back into it. Yeah. But you would think in a four-point game like this, that would be a big difference. And, you know, that that should make the difference in a four-point game if you're getting outgained, because that generally means you're getting more first downs and converting more.
1: Well, and conventionally, though, the Packers, um, they were 7 of 14 on third down, which is pretty good. And Jacksonville was only 4 of 15, but they were 3 for 4 on 4th down. You, you almost wonder that if they don't have... So four, going forward on 4 4th downs is ridiculous. And then converting 3 of them, if they don't have that, then I would say the Packers probably would have looked a lot better in that comparison. True. I mean, it, it's almost like Jacksonville played desperately the entire game rather than just at the end.
0: Yeah, and basically got to continue three other possessions they wouldn't have normally done, so that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and it it, it really would have changed the game because they were dominating that field, uh, field position. It's kind of what stifled the Packers' offense, and then um, they went for it on, a, on an early fourth down at around midfield, and they really would have forfeited all that field position that they had gained, uh, but it obviously worked out for them. I thought it was interesting for the Packers that their one-fourth down that they went for was deep in Jacksonville territory. They ran it with Eddie Lacy out of a conventional formation, and they ran right behind Lane Taylor, and it and it gained. So I don't know if they were trying to send a message there, but uh, certainly it sent a message to me that um, as much as Josh Sitten was a good player, it turns out maybe guards don't matter all that much. <laughs> well, <laughs> with I, apologies to all guards out there.
0: Right, right. I, they definitely do matter, but I, I mean... He was not apparent yesterday, which was great. <laughs> he didn't get blown up. He didn't get dominated. He, I mean, he didn't make any huge pancake, gigantic blocks, but when do we ever notice an offensive lineman doing that anyway? So it's always yeah. the key for them, obviously, to be incognito. Yeah. So for him to go through a game yesterday like that, I thought was a, a big positive for the whole offensive line, and for especially for him.
1: Agreed. And I don't know how much you've been seeing this weekend or today, but there's some really bizarre accounts of why Sitton might have been Cut. I haven't seen anything, no. Yeah, so I didn't want to talk about any of them on here because all of it is kind of speculation, and if some of the worst ones are true, it's pretty bad on Josh Sitton. So I guess I would say if anybody's interested in those, go seek them out, but I would, I guess, advocate for caution until we have some reliable sources saying so. <laughs> I know I don't mean to leave everybody in the dark. please yeah,
0: Louise, it's not like we're CNN here. Come on, give us something.
1: Um he would be in the same category with Riley Cooper if it were true. Oh wow, okay. So, um so that's why I didn't want to put him on full blast. Sure, makes sense. <laughs> um defensively, I thought Clay Matthews looked more disruptive um than he did Uh, last year playing from the outside, and that not only was a positive, but it also was wild Clay Matthews running all over the place and sometimes running out of place (laughs) like we're used to seeing. Um and then Nick Perry I thought played well as well. So I I thought those linebackers overall did good and it was good to see Clay on the outside. I thought he was very he was much more effective rushing the passer there than he was last year in the middle, but it was funny to just see reckless Clay back cuz he still kind of ran himself out of plays and probably hit the quarterback and shoved him extra times and I was waiting for flags and so it's good to see the old Clay back both good and bad. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, is that him that blew up there? No, I think that was actually Joe Thomas that blew up Denard Robinson on that running back, or uh, when he was lined up at the backfield. But Clay had a similar one earlier in the game. It too,
1: was uh, Nick just, Perry, I think.
0: Yeah, well, he, either way, they all played great yesterday. Yeah. I mean, the middle linebackers were kind of quiet, but um, I, Joe Thomas, when he played there, was great, and Clay was great, Nick Perry was great. Um, I, I mean, yeah, to see all of them basically have a play where they just knifed right in the backfield and blew guys up was huge. And I think if, you know, Clay can... Multiply those big plays by instead of like two or three to like five or six. Yeah, I, I mean that's huge for the Stephen. That's what we need. I mean he's our playmaker. He's got to do stuff like that.
1: Did Kenny Clark even play yesterday? I feel like I didn't see him at all.
0: Yeah, that maybe that goes along the lines with the offensive line because I didn't. I was thinking the same thing as I was watching the game. I almost wanted to look it up, but I didn't feel like I didn't want to put in the effort to do that. But I did read something <laughs> about Julius Peppers today because I was like, man, did he even play? Yeah, and apparently he played only like less than 40 percent of the snaps
1: yeah i didn't notice him at all i was going to bring that up after we talked about clark that if if he played he was almost invisible
0: yeah that uh, apparently one theory that i read from a packers reporter reporter this morning was that they're probably saving him you know for later in the year to play him a little more and obviously since the weather was so hot and Mm -hmm. they didn't want to wear him out but uh yeah i mean pretty much all the defensive linemen were steady but i all kind of quiet i guess but you yeah i didn't see anything from clark or or peppers really at all
1: i know there's probably some um truth into saving him and not worrying about it stuff but the way you described it i just imagine him playing like all day and then on friday they're like how are you julius and he's pouring a wet towel on himself like (laughs) i'm still i'm still really hot i just can't cool down (laughs) but i'm sure there's you know there's you know dehydration can go on for a long time but it just uh i don't know i found that well, when you're an old
0: guy like that i mean you're more apt to get injured in an environment like that i think is more the thing rather than Julius is like coming up to him before the game and saying he can't go it's just it's just too hot outside
1: <laughs> can i borrow that water bottle man oh god it's just brutal out here yeah and the injury point's a good one because uh When Randall Cobb was holding his knee, the way he fell, and that was literally minutes after Keenan Allen had just been carted off with a torn ACL, and I was like, oh, my gosh, are we ever going to see this team healthy again? And it just for that commercial break, I just sat there, and I couldn't stop thinking about the 2014 title game, thinking, gosh, that was the healthiest we're ever going to be, and we blew it. And then uh, Randall Cobb was right back in there. Apparently it was just a cramp, (laughs) but scared the heck out of me.
0: Yeah, every time, like, you see one of your main guys limping around like that, you're like, because you've seen it where it's a torn ACL and a guy just is hobbling a little bit. You're like, you could, you've seen the worst, so you can never just assume it's nothing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was a little scary, too.
1: What else was funny is they showed on the bottom line that Brian Cushing had a torn ACL and would be out six weeks. Um, the truth is, it was an MCL, and they just typed it wrong on the bottom. Oh, yeah. But I'm like, that'll get those steroid rumors back going for wow, old Brian Cushing.
0: <laughs> be the fastest ever. Yeah, I think a lot of guys can actually play through torn MCLs. Like, you may not even notice them at first, but I think surgery is obviously the way to go <laughs> instead of playing 16 games on that.
1: Yeah, and from what I remember, most of the guys who've ever played on torn MCLs were like uh, interior linemen, so they're not moving and cutting quite as much. Sure. So, Jacksonville. Um, I think the Packers... I guess I could let you jump in here before we move completely to Jacksonville, but for me... I don't think any differently of the Packers than I did prior to the game. I was uh, impressed that they were able to win against a good opponent, but I'm still not sold on either the offense or the defense, more so than I was before the season. I thought the offense would, would be better than they were, but I don't know if they'd go back to the 14 form, and I thought the defense would likely hold steady at where they were last year, but I wasn't expecting a very significant jump higher up in the rankings, and I still feel the same way after the win in Jacksonville
0: yeah i think this is exactly what i expected um you know an offense that looked maybe a little bit more efficient but pretty similar to last year just because you weren't expecting Jordy to be out and be himself after week one um i would have liked to see maybe a little bit more out of jared cook I, he did have yeah. the one big pi play that he drew but overall was a pretty much a non-factor and the defense is what it is i mean it, it's it's going to be this defense so i think if if you think this team is good enough to win a super bowl which is possible it could happen I, yeah I still think they can, but I, I think this is exactly what you expected coming into the year. Probably a you know a twelve and 4, 11 and five team that has a shot.
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely think they still can win a Super Bowl, but at this point, I would, I, I, if I was putting money on somebody, it wouldn't be them. Yeah. Um. And also with Sam Shields getting another concussion, having just had that really bad one that kept him out multiple games last season, um, you start to worry about his longevity a little bit. At least I do. I I wonder if he's going to, yeah. you know, I don't know. I, I don't feel like he would retire or anything yet. But, uh, yeah, that's certainly something that's got to have you concerned for a guy that yeah. you, is that important. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Jacksonville, are you more impressed? Do you think are you starting to buy the hype into them or are you still uh, need some more convincing?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm buying it. I think I predicted them to be pretty good this year. I, I, don't,
1: I think we both that. had them like eight and eight.
0: Yeah, I think I might. Yeah, I think I had them finishing just second to the Colts in the division there. But Mm -hmm. um, I I think they're a good team. I think the the defense looked a little better than I expected yesterday. They've got like three basically first round guys that are all playing right away for them here. Um, Mm -hmm. After Fowler Fowler got hurt last year, and they got Miles Jack in the second round, Um, they they look decent. I mean, the secondary held our guys in check. I don't know how much that says, but that that passing game is going to be good. So Mm -hmm. you could definitely see them contending for a wild card spot. I think.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I, I think if they were better than eight or nine wins this year, I'd be very surprised. But yeah, um, if they were five and eleven again, I'd be pretty surprised too. Uh, if they were pretty healthy and and went that way, and I like Bortles. I think he's a he's a good player, and uh, those receivers are dynamic. And Julius Thomas is uh, showing that he was less a product of Peyton Manning than I thought he was when he first went to Jacksonville. Um, but we'll I guess we'll we'll see what happens with them, but I do notice myself not hating their uniforms so much now that the team's actually interesting to watch
0: yeah, I know i I still kind of hate the two tone helmet, but if they just changed it to a straight matted black helmet, I'd be on board i th- I don't think they're so bad, but yeah, I used to think that when they came out with them were basically the worst and i I can tolerate them now. It's probably just more you get used to them. They don't seem so outlandish anymore.
1: I think it's partially that, and I'm getting the same effect with Tampa's, at least their road all whites and stuff, and I think it has more to do with them. They're just a fun team to watch. To watch yeah. yeah, who wants to watch that trash when Josh McCown's the quarterback or Chad Henney's the quarterback in Jacksonville? It's true, yeah. They wouldn't look good playing for you know Kansas City or Dallas or something like that. Okay, Um, we have some topics that we're going to talk about that were, were given to us by uh, um, Daniel Johnson and Corey Ben, two of our great, great fans uh, that are always helping us out with stuff to talk about. A um, few things, let's rapid fire from other things that happened yesterday. First of all, that might have been the best week one that I could remember off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. And- you know, you hate to say that it's too bad the Packers game was in the middle of a lot of it, but we didn't get to see a lot of that good action. I, I was trying to flip back to Red Zone like during halftime and commercials and stuff to watch it, but there were so many good games and mm-hmm. even the game last night and all the afternoon games basically. That Colts Lions game, game was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and that was on the high scoring end of things. And then you get the Seattle Miami if you're into the defensive struggles. Yeah, I mean you basically had everything major comebacks. It was it was overall just an awesome day.
1: Yeah, agreed, and really, if you weren't in football mode already, I don't know how you couldn't have been, but if you weren't now, I think everybody's back in full mode. Um, so a lot of injuries yesterday, two to quarterbacks. RG3 is on IR already. I mean, people make fun of how brittle he is, but he's going on IR with the hope that he, they can use the designated to return on him, but um, gosh, do they need the roster spot that bad that you'd risk that you know somebody else couldn't come off of there? That just seems weird.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate, as I think we were all looking forward to seeing what that experiment would be like, and that kind of takes all the interest out of the Browns for me now.
1: Yeah, agreed, because who's going to play then? McCown? Is that who? Yeah, I would yeah. think so. He's on every team, I think. Yeah. <laughs> he's just the he's like all-time quarterback, like you'd play that as kids. He's the all-time backup quarterback for every team in the NFL, I think. Yeah. And Russell Wilson had Dominican Sue step on his ankle by accident, I was pretty sure, and there's a chance he might not play next week.
0: Wow. Yeah, I, I did see that he was, um, after the game, I think he said he was definitely going to play, and then today I saw he was maybe questionable for that mm-hmm. in a pretty bad ankle sprain. That's yeah. going to be really hard for a mobile quarterback to play with a really bad, quote, you know ankle sprain. That's that's tough to do, so I would be surprised if he played.
1: Yeah, and they probably don't need him to beat the Rams anyways. Although they, they have, like, nobody behind him. I think Trevon Boykin is going to be their quarterback then, which just seems nuts. Yeah, I nuts. think you're
0: right. I, I heard them say he was the backup last week.
1: Yeah, so that's, that'll be interesting to see. And the night game, um, two things that I wonder from the night game. First of all, I, I think I texted you this, but I think Arizona's in deep trouble. They just look so rotten, and they have since basically they trounced the Packers in Week 16 last year. They've looked pretty bad since then, and they lucked out against us, but they haven't just looked very good at all. I think Carson Palmer looks like he's shot at this point. And, yeah. I mean, I know they were close, but... Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens if Jimmy Garoppolo goes 4-0. and um, Clearly they'll let Tom Brady come in and play, but you wonder if Tom Brady doesn't play up to his normal standards if it doesn't set us up for a really interesting off season in Foxborough.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think anything would happen this season. They'll let Brady play through no matter how bad he plays, but... I, he's saying he wants to play through 40, and I I honestly think with what the legacy he's created that no matter how well Garoppolo plays or how poorly Brady plays, I have a hard time seeing them um, giving Garoppolo the job next year or even trying to force Brady out or what have you.
1: Yeah. I don't think they would force him out, but you wonder if there would be pressure from other spots to kind of be like, all right, Tom, are you thinking about retirement yet? You know, kind of deal. Yeah. Um, but the I just know the Patriots are going to go 4-0 now. It, it just... He he played pretty yeah. well, and they got just trash games, I think, the next three weeks.
0: Yeah, but, it, I mean, things as much as you can maybe pick on some things here and there with the Packers, I think when you look at the whole week, I mean, it's week one, don't take too much from it, but the Seahawks' offense looked pretty poor against, mm-hmm. you know, what's an okay Dolphins defense, a good front, but they're not over-the-top good, and you had the Cardinals, who looked very average against a the team they definitely should have beat, missing all their best players, mm-hmm. and, I, I mean, you're you kind of <laughs> feel like the door's open a little bit.
1: Yeah, Carolina couldn't hold a lead against Trevor Simeon. Yeah, yep. Uh, So, yeah, I agree. Nobody jumped out as better than the rest in Week 1. And and we've had some years where, like, Seattle the year after they won the Super Bowl just came out and looked like they were the best team in the league, and Denver was the same way. Um, But, yeah, it it looks like certainly no one looked better than the Packers yesterday. Right. Yeah,
0: I I think if you're doing an an NFC or even an NFL power ranking, they're probably one.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. All right, and real quick, uh, Jack Del Rio going for two. um, It really, I thought it was a good move. I I couldn't decide if I wanted him to fail or not, but then once he made it and he was doing, like, the slow old guy double fists, I was kind of happy for him. But uh, his justification was that we have to make one play to win this game uh, at some point, either now or in overtime, so why the hell not do it now? And it made me wish Mike McCarthy had that same gut uh, in the playoffs. (laughs)
0: Right, yeah, I mean, your defense was awful, <laughs> so you might as well. I mean, you basically give yourself, like, a little over 50% chance of converting there. I was more surprised by the play call. It seems like the fade is kind of a low-percentage play. Yeah. Um, they pulled it off, though. I mean, why not? If You're, you're going to give a chance to not even get the ball back on a coin toss, so just go for it. Put it
1: away. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you saw what happened in Kansas City with San Diego, and... I don't like always adjusting these overtime rules, but it's it's to the point now, if you're going to change it where that a, a walk-off field goal can't win it, I think it's just got to be simple that both teams get the ball and yeah. get a chance to match because that touchdown on the first drive without the other team ever getting the ball is becoming a lot more common.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so um, let's get to... Um, This was kind of going to be a crossfire, I think we will call it a crossfire, but um, we are going completely with the fan um, submissions from Corey and Daniel on Facebook, and I haven't looked at them all, so I'm really kind of seeing them for the first time, and I assume Matt is as well, so uh, let's have crossfire. And that signifies the beginning of Crossfire, where we take random topics and we quickly debate them back and forth. And right now, as I just said, we're going to go straight to the Facebook page. And Daniel Johnson um, has the first few topics, and then Corey Bend has a few on uh, after that. So we're going to talk about uh, each one of these um, in rapid-fire fashion. Uh, obviously, if you're listening, you probably know how Crossfire works, but whatever. Okay, so Daniel Johnson's first. Uh, He wanted us to talk about the 9-11 anniversary. What do you remember about it in that 2001 season? Um, Obviously, everybody remembers where they were when 9-11 happened and things like that. Um, For me, that week off, uh, I actually have that I randomly found a couple years ago that they showed a marathon on ESPN instead of football. They showed a marathon of the NFL yearbooks from the year 2000, and I recorded the Packers one, um, and it had all of the commercials. And I remember um, having that. It had a lot of the ads talking about all of the games that had been canceled, and I think I played football over at the neighbor's house. And uh, it was was a weird time, and I think everybody has their own uh, personal story, but... uh, yeah, I just uh, I I don't know if I don't know if you can overstate to younger people who weren't around uh, when 9/11 happened and there's people in high school now that probably have no personal recollection of 9/11 and it's certainly from a cultural standpoint it's it, it's the most unique uh time that I've ever been alive. It it just really I don't know, there was just a sense of you didn't feel safe anywhere for quite a while after that and I I don't think anything even with all the weird stuff that's happened in recent years, has quite replicated that feeling.
0: Oh yeah, not even close. There's been nothing, and hopefully, we won't. And I, yeah, yeah. Say, hope nothing like that'll ever happen. It was, it was nice, obviously, how everybody came together and how patriotic. You could, you couldn't help but feel like you heard all those corny America songs that came out at the time, and you just like started getting tears in your eyes. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I. mean, we were. I was in middle school. I think you were in high school. And, yep. Um. I mean, it was a weird day, obviously, I guess, to relate it to football, so it's applicable to this show. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't remember too much from, I guess, even that week of football and the cancellations and things. I remember George Bush throwing out that first pitch, obviously, in that game, um, and the Packers oh, yeah. season not being that good overall, <laughs> along with it. But I remember like going to football practice afterwards. I, I remember all of us wanted them to cancel because nobody felt safe. You know, just practicing outside in a field in a small country town in Oakfield, I think, just... <laughs> That was just kind of the feeling, is that no matter where you were, you could possibly be close enough to something bad that could happen.
1: Well, and there were so many rumors that day about... I I remember a kid coming into one of my study halls that was like a senior. I was a freshman, and he's saying, well, there's six planes that are unaccounted for. They don't know where they're going, and just these wild, wild things. And I don't... I mean, it took like a year to make complete sense of what's going on, and... um, and then remember they had the anthrax after that and then they had um I think locally there was like a cherry bombs in uh um like mailboxes I remember being in our sister's car on the way home from school and all of us are sort of joking but sort of serious like cowering as she opens the mailbox Yeah <laughs> just I mean you laugh about it now but you know obviously it was a it's a horrible tragedy and it's it's nice that they remember that things but it's I think it just was the weirdest—it was the most national thing that's ever happened in my life, where it felt like it happened to everybody, even though it didn't. Right. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Raiders going for two in the wind. Did you like the call? Should Green Bay have done that against Arizona? Hindsight is always twenty twenty. Uh, We talked about that a little bit before, but as time goes on, the more I think that McCarthy was wrong for not going for it. His offense was completely beat up. They had no weapons, and so at best-case scenario, you win the toss and you have to go the length of the field in order to win, whereas right here you score once from the two-yard line and you go home winners. I think he should have went for it.
0: Yeah, I agree with that too. And on top of everything you said, which I agree with, you got there in the first place by two fluke plays. You almost feel like you don't even deserve. Just get it on one play. I mean, you're you're probably destined to hit that. Your defense was is historically bad at giving up big plays in the in the postseason, and you got a chance to just wrap it up and go to the NFC Championship game. So yeah, I agree with you then, and I agree with you now. I think that they should have went for it, and I like Jack Del Rio going for it with the new overtime. I almost would almost every time you would think.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. Cam Newton headshots and not being removed from the game. So Cam Newton got like four helmet-to-helmet shots and yeah. um, perhaps a concussion. So they're investigating the concussion protocol. But uh, I don't know. It 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 looked like a Greg Williams-esque game plan on the part of the Denver Broncos on Thursday.
0: That's absolutely true. I would think that you know maybe it wasn't coaching instilled, but there was definitely something going on there for Darian Stewart to do that so blatantly, and Mm -hmm. to get up and not really care that he got the flag, it definitely seemed like that was their game plan, and for Cam to not come off, I think that's the ultimate NFL double standard, and not to blame the NFL, because it was probably the the Carolina or whatever independent doctor they had on the sidelines, Mm -hmm. but there's no way he should have stayed on the field.
1: Yeah, I I agree, and um, one thing I will say is that Cam Newton received a lot of criticism, for what happened uh, the way he handled the press conference after the Super Bowl. And you can tell that – I'm still not the biggest Cam Newton fan, but you can tell he was thoughtfully taking account some of that criticism because uh, I I didn't see the video, but from the accounts that I read, that he got dressed up in a suit – he took ownership for having lost. He didn't blame the officials. He said that's not up to me to decide. He took the highest of high roads, and his teammates came to bat for him, and they should have. But for Cam to do that, I think it shows that he's self-aware and he's he's trying. He's not just trying to be this guy that antagonizes people. He's trying to be uh, thoughtful, and uh, you know, maybe it's it's probably somewhat self-serving. But I thought uh, he should get some kudos for that.
0: Right? Yeah, I agree.
1: Stone Stonehands Adams, can he only catch tough passes? Um, no, because he flailed around like a kid who had never caught a football before on that long catch that, or that long pass that he should have had. So, no, I don't know. I think he's just uh maybe he's lazy and he only catches them right when he's about to get pulled out of the game.
0: Yeah, I agree. <laughs> he, there's no no boundaries to the catches, the passes he can't catch. It's it's all encompassing. <laughs> So it's not necessarily just easy catches he can't make.
1: It's easier to pick lottery numbers than to guess which catch Devontae Adams will make. That's right. Okay, now transitioning to Corey Ben's picks. Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz, and Jimmy Garoppolo, who had the most impressive debut. Uh, so I saw more of Dak Prescott and Jimmy Garoppolo than I did of Carson Wentz, But and Carson Wentz played against the Browns, but he he looked really good. Um I think, for me, I thought Garoppolo was the most impressive on the surface because that offense didn't look much different, and it's usually run by one of the greatest quarterbacks, if not the greatest of all time. Whereas uh, Carson Wentz, I thought he, he looked good, but again, he was beaten up on Cleveland, and Dak, Dak Prescott, I thought, did okay, but it certainly didn't look the way it does when Tony Romo's in
0: there. Yeah, I'd say that Garoppolo looked the best, but I'm going to say that Carson Wentz was the most impressive. Okay, I mean, his two touchdown passes he had were insanely good NFL throws, yeah. and for him to come from um, FCS and to have only played in one preseason game and to have been hurt with a fractured rib for the last three weeks, to come in and play like that, I thought, even against a not great defense, that was extremely impressive, and I, I couldn't believe it. I was shocked that he played that well.
1: Yeah, I was too, and uh, I, I think I think that you make a good point there. I could come to that uh, idea as well what's with so many teams wearing white for home games I get Dallas because of the unique organizational custom and I even get Jacksonville the heat but the Saints you are playing in a dome (laughs) I I had the same thought actually when the Saints they they do that quite a bit early in the season but I don't know why and they look ridiculous because they have that stupid polo collar design on the the neck of their shirts (laughs) but Um, and the Jets, the Jets doing it too. Like, yeah, I don't get it. Stop wearing white at home unless you're coached by Joe Gibbs or you're the Dallas Cowboys.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I definitely understand it for outdoor games early in the season too. And the Saints, I think that's, that's just their prerogative. It's just the coach's call. Right. So maybe Sean Payton just likes the whites better. Although I think their blacks are pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Their Um, blacks with the gold pants are like really cool. It's the best unis they have.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I get it. If you're going to be out in the sun, if you got dark green uniforms, why not choose against it? I'd rather wear white in the sun than dark. But, yeah, the Dome teams don't make sense.
1: <laughs> the Did you know the Packers, for the first two games of 89, actually wore whites at home? It's the only time they've ever done that. Hmm. They looked ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um, if Arizona can't beat the Patriots minus Gronk, Brady, and both starting tackles in a primetime game at home, who can? Yes, I'm already dreading the inevitable crowning of the Patriots in Super Bowl 51. Um, I think Denver can, I think, um, any of those teams that could put pressure on Tom Brady can, and the biggest threat is that if the Patriots get home field advantage, because as we talked about last year, um, Tom Brady is as pedestrian as every other quarterback in the history of the league on the road in the playoffs. He's 3-4 and four when he's not at Gillette Stadium. The reason he's this ridiculous quarterback is he's so good in the regular season, and he's something like 16-3 and three at home. And so if he has to play on the road against anybody, he can lose to any of the good teams in the AFC.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think your point is good. I, I don't know how much better this team got at the offensive line, and it's – quick for people to forget how badly they got dominated last year in the playoffs. So although they looked good in that game, um, I mean, Arizona doesn't have a whole lot of pass rushers. That's part of the reason why their defense wasn't any better last year is they couldn't get any sacks. Yeah. So they basically played one of the best teams they could have matched up against. And their one good player was the guy they traded to him, Chandler Jones, and he got two sacks, I believe. Mm -hmm. So you play a team with a better defense than that, and you basically have to score 21 points to outscore them, I think, and win. Yeah. So. I think they're the best team in the AFC still, but I I would be scared too if I was them going up against Denver or another team that could put some pressure on.
1: And maybe I'm just way off, but I, I'm not impressed with Arizona at all. I, I just think maybe they're not very good. hmm Where does post-2009 Drew Brees rank amongst the most egregious wastes of singular transcendent talent in modern football history? Seriously, if the Saints had any clue what the heck they were doing with the rest of their roster, Brees would have them in the postseason at least every year. My guess from your questions here, Corey, is that you watched quite a bit of that Saints-Raiders game, Um, (laughs) which is is fine. It was a good game. Um, I've started on all these, so Matt, why don't you start on this one?
0: Yeah, and we've talked about this before, too, with them, and I think you could even say in a similar light to Matt Ryan, although what Drew Brees is doing is a lot better than what Matt Ryan's doing. Mm-hmm. But basically, you have a quarterback on both of those teams, and especially with the Saints, and the rest of your roster is just absolute garbage. It's it's hard to imagine it. I mean, you basically have drafted terribly since you've gotten him, and he was able to carry it to a win and had a couple of guys in your defense that played well, but for the most part since then, I mean, he's been a quarterback that's, top five, at least top ten, should be a playoff team, but you just surrounded him with absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm.
1: And I think all of your points are correct, but I also think that Drew Brees might be the best example, even though I I had him number nine on my list of greatest quarterbacks ever, which I admitted I, I used a methodology that I no longer agree with, but he might be example number one for this era of empty passing yardage where offenses aren 't any more in fact they 're much more inefficient than they were years ago, and so he throws for a ton of yards, but he doesn't translate that into points at any and at any higher rate than any of the other teams in the league and we 've seen him against Seattle and against um you know Atlanta at times. Teams that have good defenses, um, both times he played San Francisco in the, uh, I think both times he played San Francisco with uh, Kaepernick at quarterback, he just kind of wilts and doesn't really do much. And then he comes back and they're down 31-10 to and he gets two long touchdown drives and pulls to within 7 with 10 seconds left. And I just think that much of that statistical production that blows your mind at the end of the year comes in garbage time and it comes at drives that don't result in points. Sure. And so I think he's been great, but I don't necessarily like I don't know, you have a follow-up question here um Cory Ben about Andrew Luck, but for me, when I watched Luck yesterday I'm like, "Wow, this guy's incredible. This guy really is I don't know where this team would be without him." And Drew Brees, it could be the the style of play is different, but for me, I think Breeze just is kind of the epitome of a bunch of empty yards that mean a whole lot of nothing cuz you don't put it in the end zone any more than Russell Wilson does.
0: Right. Yeah, and I can I can see that to a point for sure, but I also think there's a the majority of quarterbacks that have ever been in this league can't put up those empty yards like Drew Brees can either. Like They just can't do what he can do. No. And I agree that that offense may not be the most effective offense still, and he can be even frustrating to watch at times. Even if he throws for 400 yards, it can be kind of a struggle sometimes. But uh, yeah. I, I, he's still a great quarterback. He deserves a little better.
1: He's absolutely a great quarterback, but I think that to say that it's a huge, egregious waste of, of, of talent I think is unfair because they do have a Super Bowl. And at the end of this generation, you're likely going to have. <clears throat> excuse me. You're likely going to have Matt Ryan, Philip Rivers, Tony Romo, all of these guys that were statistically incredible and would have been the best quarterbacks in their respective eras any other time. You can maybe throw Andy Dalton onto that list, and Andrew Luck is well on his way towards that. And then you're going to have other guys who are still pretty good, like. Uh, Alex Smith and and stuff like that that are going to have nothing to show for it. At least Drew Brees hit light, got lightning in a bottle the one year and got a Super Bowl. Right. All right, Andrew Luck. Um, do you think? Uh, do you want to comment on that at all? It says uh, Andrew Luck is he on the way to joining Drew Brees? Luck is so brilliant, but he's seemingly uh, the only good personnel decision the Colts have made in the last five years.
0: Yeah, I mean he could be. It's 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 early to tell. They've got a couple of pieces, a couple of nice receivers and things that. It's definitely not too late for him. He's so young still, but right now it's that way.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, he's got a long way to go, but yeah, you certainly feel bad for him. But a lot of times, he, you can't get you. You aren't down twenty-one to three with your quarterback playing great. He, he's he got to contribute some to being down in these huge holes all the time that he's getting yeah, himself yeah, out of. Yeah, he
0: played bad in the beginning of yesterday's game. He just turned it on all of a sudden in the second half and at the end of the first.
1: And that's kind of his MO, and it's exciting to watch, but uh, he certainly shares in that blame. All right, and number 10, uh, Corey Ben says, Apparently Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharper co-hosting a ripoff of First Take. Ugh, I don't yeah. remember what it's called.
0: Uh, second Take, I'm pretty sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Is it Really?
0: I think so. I think that's what I heard. Yeah, that's a great. They name. had a bunch of commercials, but I just like automatically tune out as soon as I see Skip Bayless on the TV.
1: Well, and he asks what we would, what it would take for us to watch a full episode of that uninterrupted. How much would someone have to pay you? I don't think it would take a ton of money, like maybe like a hundred bucks, but you'd have to give me a six pack as well.
0: Yeah, if I'm speaking honestly, I could probably be asked to sit down with a beer and just watch an episode and be okay. But if we're handing out money here, yeah. I, I, I can't stand to watch Skip Bayless at, at all. It's so frustrating. And at least this time he's not with Stephen A., who's just as bad. That's true. Um, maybe Shannon's a little better. And it'll be a little more tolerable. But, yeah, just the commercials for that show, make me want to throw up a little bit.
1: Well, and I could put up with Shannon Sharp a little bit because he's a Hall of Fame player, you know, yeah. and so he at least, when he's, when he's saying outrageous things, you know, perhaps it's coming from a position of where he's lived it or, or something, I don't know, and and I always like him because he said really nice things about Sterling Sharp at his Hall of Fame induction, yeah. um, but I don't know who watches those shows, and you were talking about the ads, every time one of those ads came on I kept thinking, you're spending all of this money to showcase a new show that is going to occur when anyone who is of school age or has a job will not be able to watch it Mm -hmm. so who are you appealing this to super old people and people who don't got much going on in their
0: lives (laughs) i don't know yeah
1: yeah, that could be a whole nother discussion but i don't want to go down that road um, and then uh, Corey Ben said he's feeling good about the win. It's a work in progress. He loved the run defense. Clay looked awesome back in the old spot. He thought the D-line played well and uh, some lapses in coverage, but they shut down the run, so that's good. On offense, he liked Lacey and Cobb. Uh, seeing Jordy catch a touchdown was amazing, which I'll agree with. Uh, bottom line, it's a road win against a team that looks like it could be a tough out this season, and I'm glad to have this win in the bank and to have this particular road trip behind us. Um,
0: Yep, agree with everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. On.
1: I Somebody's doing their weed eater outside uh, my window here, and I thought my was my computer about ready to explode, but <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was kind of distracted while I was reading that. All right, no justification. Let's just make our picks super fast. Jets at Bills. All
0: right. All right, you were so fast or I wasn't even ready. Jets at Bills. Um, I'm going to go. Uh, the Bills look so bad. I'll go Jets.
1: Uh, I'll agree with you for that reason, and the Jets look pretty good. Um Saints at Giants.
0: Ooh, I'm going to go with uh the Giants at home.
1: I like the Giants and I like Sterling Shepard. They they could have a yeah. really good chance there. Um Tennessee at Detroit.
0: Ooh, uh I'll pick the Lions.
1: I will too. Dallas at Washington.
0: Ooh, Redskins.
1: Yeah, it's hard when we haven't seen him play, but I'll agree with that. Um, I'll start going first for the next few. Uh, Kansas City at Houston, a rematch of that fantastic playoff game from last year. Um, I will go with Houston.
0: Yeah, this is a tough one. Just to be different, I'm like split on this. I'll go Kansas City.
1: Okay, Miami at New England. I will take Uh, the Patriots.
0: uh, You're going to go Patriots? Okay, I'm going to go Miami.
1: Okay. Uh, Baltimore at Cleveland with Josh McCown. I will take Baltimore. Same here. Uh, San Francisco at Carolina, the Panthers. Uh yep, Panthers. Cincinnati at Pittsburgh. Uh oh, I'm yeah, you'd gonna like to see Pittsburgh first, but yeah, you feel like all of their players are always a risk to get injured at all times. Um, I'll take Cincinnati because it seems like the road team always wins in this series lately.
0: All right, I'll go Pittsburgh at home.
1: Tampa Bay at Arizona. I'm gonna take the Bucks.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna too. James Winston looked pretty darn good.
1: Yeah, four TDs. Uh, Seattle at LA without potentially Russell Wilson.
0: Ooh, that could be a really good game, like 3-3, like an <laughs> overtime game. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Can't wait
1: to watch that. Who do you pick? Uh,
0: I'll go. I'll, I'll still stick with the Hawks. I okay. think even if Russell Wilson doesn't play, they're basically even.
1: I'm going to go with the Rams, I think. Um, Seattle's offense didn't impress me at all yesterday. And then you throw in a bad quarterback. Atlanta at Oakland. This feels like a game the Raiders will lose being high after winning.
0: (laughs) It does, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Falcons, I think.
1: Um, And I don't know if I made it clear. I am going with the Falcons as well. Jacksonville at San Diego, I think I'm going to do the same thing. Even though they lost Keenan Allen, I think that uh, uh, they – I liked their running game yesterday, and so I think Jacksonville has a letdown going on the road.
0: All right, I'm going to pick Jacksonville. I think it's hard to bounce back as – if you're San Diego, after that crushing defeat and losing your best offensive player, that could be. Now
1: I'm regretting my decision. I'll no, oh, stick well. with it. I will. I will. Uh, in India, Denver. I think. Uh, I don't know. You pick first this time. I want to think about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll pick the Colts here.
1: Um, yeah, I will too. Um, you know what? No, I'm not. I'm going to pick Denver. That that defense looked so awful last uh, night. So I'm going to pick Denver. Philadelphia at Chicago. Uh, I'll go Bears. I'll go Bears as well. And now we can analyze a little bit more this one. The Packers at the Vikings. And so the Vikings won almost exclusively with defense yesterday, um, defeating the Tennessee Titans coming back from behind. Um, they still, apparently, Mike Zimmer has, I always want to call him Don Zimmer, the stupid guy who Pedro (laughs) Martinez threw down. Mike Zimmer has decided who's going to be the quarterback, but he's not telling anyone. Um... To tell you the truth, I think I'm going to pick Minnesota, and it, it's not that I think anything less of the Packers, but I think they're going to be hyped up, and um, I could very well be wrong, but I just don't know if at this stage of the reacclamation of Jordy Nelson that I expect their offense to look any better than it did against Minnesota in Week 17 last year.
0: Sure. Yeah, I. I'm kind of there with you. I think if you come into this with Bridgewater, I actually had this on my season projections as a Vikings win. Yeah. But I think with the quarterback changeups now, and they didn't impress me enough against Tennessee, I don't think to pick them here in the upset. So I think whether it's Sean Hill or Sam Bradford, I think you're still good enough to beat them. So I'll pick Green Bay.
1: Okay, and obviously, that goes without saying that I hope you're right. but And I, I don't think it would be a death knell to the season to lose to the Vikings. No, I agree.
0: The, I, that's kind of one you expect to lose. You, you feel you're going to drop either one or two on the road in the division every year, and that, that happens. So,
1: And I don't Not see the Vikings up. sustaining any kind of momentum from a 2-0 with how their quarterback situation is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so hopefully Week 2 is as good as Week 1 because that was uh, really good to watch. And I, I don't know what's going on right now. It's almost 7 o'clock here, and... Uh, Central time, so I would assume that Pittsburgh-Washington game is going on already. Um, So hopefully it all continues through tonight and keeps getting good, although I feel like we're going to lose some momentum with that uh, nightcap of San Francisco at the Rams.
0: Yeah, not watching the second of that game, I don't
1: think. No, I don't think so either. Starts at 9.30, forget that. Yeah. Okay, well, I want to thank you so much for uh, Corey Ben and Daniel Johnson for uh, replying on the Facebook page and everybody who interacts on there or follows the podcast. If you want to add some comments, and feel free, even if we don't ask for topics, to, to throw them out there, and sometimes we'll get to them. Um, at the very least, we'll reply on the Facebook page. Um, although I forgot to – Carlos is on here. I forgot to respond to him on the Facebook page. But um, definitely, maybe in the bye week we'll go more over some of the great teams or something. But um, if you want to interact with the – podcast go to the green and go forever podcast on facebook you can uh, tweet at me at green gold forever that's the number four on twitter and uh, hit us up there and don't forget to download the Podbean app and follow green and Gold forever on there for the complete archives of green and go forever and you can also uh, follow the podcast through the itunes app as well so hopefully uh, the Packers can continue their momentum in a really tough game in a brand-new, really cool-looking stadium for the Minnesota Vikings and uh, continue on to 2-0. and um, And if they could get through that, the re- their next couple of months of schedule, basically until December, looks incredibly easy. <laughs> so if they could, could somehow get through here and stay healthy, uh, we could have a really, really special season on our hands. So one step at a time, though. For Matt in Altoona, I am Eric in Appleton. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the rest of your week. Take care, everyone.